0: So today is the beginning of the season of Advent. If you're familiar with Advent, Advent, Advent is a time of both looking back and looking forward. It is looking back to the first coming of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, and it's looking forward to his second coming whenever that's gonna happen. And so we are in the middle of those two time periods. So what I look at hope as is hope or even Advent can be described as now, but not yet. That we have hope because of Jesus' first coming, but we're looking forward in hope towards his second coming. Hope can be described as now, but not yet. Now, on a basic level, all of us have hopes. For some of us, it might be a very minimal hope. Do you know, maybe in this room or even in the area around us, there's some people hoping today, that they'll have a warm, dry place to be. Some people are hoping today that they will have a meal. Some are hoping that they'll be able to sleep in a bed tonight. And maybe those are your basic hopes. Or maybe you haven't even thought about the realities of some people's hopes in that realm. Or it might be you have other hopes, like a hope for a good education for yourself or, or a child a dream job or a promotion, a a once-in-a-lifetime trip, I hope I can go and do that. Or it might be a little bit more difficult situations you're in right now. You might have a hope that this is not the last Christmas with a certain loved one of yours. Or you might be hoping that the diagnosis isn't as bad as it seems to be. Or, Or hoping that somehow that relationship can be repaired and put back together. All of us have hopes and dreams. And when we use the word hope, we often use it like a wish or a whim. Like, I hope everything will be okay, but I don't really know. I, I, I hope there's another chance to work things out, but I don't really know. I, I hope I get that promotion, but I don't really know. I, I hope that estranged child comes home, but I don't really know. I hope that it's really not that bad, but I don't really know. And we treat hope like a, possibility or a wish or a whim. I hoped for a lot of things growing up. I hoped for a sports car, but it never came. I hoped that I'd be buff and big, but you can see that didn't happen. And I hoped that I'd have hair my whole life, but that hope didn't work out either. And the way we think of hope often is this wish or a whim. So we don't hold on too tightly to hope because we're just not really sure if it ever will really happen. And when our hopes and dreams don't happen, easily we, we can become hopeless. And hopeless is not a good place to be in. Even saying the word hopeless kind of brings in storm clouds and these negative feelings and discouragement. You ever feel hopeless? I have. And it's not a very nice place to be. Now, when we rewind to the first Christmas, to the birth of Jesus, we see for the nation of Israel, they were in an interesting time in history. They were in a time that over 400 years had passed of prophetic silence. And what that means is there was prophets that would speak to the nation of Israel, but for the 400 years leading up to the birth of Jesus, there had been no prophets speaking or writing anything with regards to the nation of Israel. Now, if you rewind a little bit farther to what was read this morning from Isaiah, Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus predicted, for to us this day is born a Savior. A Savior. But 700 years, countless days had passed without that happening. Now, right around the birth of Jesus, the temple had been destroyed earlier and now had been rebuilt. A little bit of hope rising. But in the same time, there had been three different occupying forces that had taken over the nation of Israel. First, it was the Persians. Then the Greeks came with Alexander the Great. Then after that, the Romans set up their rule in Israel. Israel was an occupied land that had to pay taxes to the occupying force. There was a tension of culture, religion, and forces at work. Just imagine living at the time of Jesus and being a Jewish person. You're not being ruled by your own people. You're being ruled by somebody else. And if you're a good Jewish person, you would know the prophecies from 700 years earlier. You would know that for 400 years, there's been complete silence by prophets. If you rewind our country's history 400 years, you get back to about 1620, and that's when people were boarding the Mayflower to come to the U.S. That's a long time to be waiting in hope. 400 years of silence, waiting for a coming Messiah, a conquering king, one that would vanquish the occupying force and set them free and set up the rule. But I imagine after waiting that long, hopes weren't real high. Does it ever bother you that God doesn't work on your time frame? Shouldn't he work with our deadlines and schedules? When you want an answer yesterday and God is still waiting tomorrow, that can become frustrating. And oftentimes we can look at waiting as useless and pointless and a waste of time, especially if you're waiting in traffic in this area. But it might just be that God's timing and the waiting that we perceive is so much better than what we expect, or could even imagine. We read in Galatians 4.4 in the New King James Version, don't read from this translation too often, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the the law. God did not show up late, he did not show up early, he was right on time. And this idea of the fullness of time, to me, gives this idea of like a bathtub filled exactly to the top, and if you go to even stick a foot in there, it's going over. Or it gives this idea in my mind of somebody who is fully pregnant. You're not questioning whether or not that person is pregnant, you're questioning whether or not you're going to have to catch that baby when it comes out right in front of you. The fullness of time means that it is ready and prepared. And God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. Time pregnant with possibility. Time overflowing that God is like, in this exact moment, in this timing, is when I'm going to send forth my son born of a virgin. Now, I don't know all the scientific understanding of a virgin birth, and I never will, but what I do know is that God, out of his love for the world, sent forth his son to us who are in need of hope. When hope is failing, people rebelling, nations invading, in a small village, in an obscure stable, a young couple welcomed Christ into this world. And the hopes and fears of all the years were met In that moment, this is like the special ops mission of special ops mission as God inserted himself into humanity and into time and space and presence. I can imagine God the Father and God the Son having a conversation in heaven because when Jesus was born was not when he was created, he has existed forever, as we can read in the book of Colossians and other places in Scripture. But I can imagine the Father and the Son having a conversation in heaven, and the Father going, now is the time. I don't know how that works functioning outside of time, but, but here the Father is saying, now is the time. It's time for you to go, Jesus, to be inserted into humanity. And I imagine Jesus turning to the Father and saying, you know, Dad, I know it's time, but it sure is nice here. It's perfect Do you realize there what it's like? It's kind of stinky, dirty, broken, imperfect, falling apart. It it sort of needs a remodeling, Father. And I imagine the Father turning to Jesus and saying, yeah, that's why you're going. Because you are the only hope. You are the one and only that can truly come and save the world. You are the solution. D.A. Carson put it this way. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent us an economist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and so he sent us A Savior. But here's the thing: the hope that God promises of forgiveness and eternal life is often not the hope that we're looking for. Just like we get God's timing wrong, we can often get hope wrong. And imagine if instead of God sending a savior, he sent you a survey. You know those surveys you get, like you, you answer the phone, and they're like, please hold at the end of this call and take the three-question survey. Or you purchase something online, and then afterwards, please rate your experience. And you know, you can Yelp it, you can Google it, whatever. Um, but imagine Jesus, or imagine God sending a survey, and, and you go to your email today, and you, you open it, email from God, and it says something like this. Thank you for taking the time to complete the survey. Your feedback is greatly appreciated as I try, as God, to figure out the hope that you really need. And as you continue to consume my services, I would like to know what your needs really are. It sounds so crazy, but that's how we often act with hope. Like if God could only get it right and get on my plan, my schedule, and fulfill my hopes, then life would be great and grand. We act like God doesn't see what we're going through or know what is best for our lives. When in actuality, God's hope is often different than our hope. God's hope is a confident expectation of what he promised will happen. Not what we want will happen. Our hope is based on what we want. God's hope is based on what we need. Our hope is based on making life easier. God's hope is based on making us like him. Our hope is based on our time frame. God's hope is an eternal hope that looks both at this world and beyond this world. Our hope thinks that we know what is best and God's hope really does. Jesus came not to fulfill all your wildest hopes and dreams but to give us the hope that we really need. And let's not forget that one of the greatest difference between our hope and the hope that he that is found in God is our hope is a dream or a wish. But his hope has a confident expectation knowing what is going to happen. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 8 beginning in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. That is hope, that no matter what is happening now, God has a bigger plan and purpose for your life. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Romans 8 here for a little bit, or if you have notes, or on the YouVersion app. It's all right there for Romans 8. But continuing on in verse 9, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present moment. The whole planet, plants, animals, the very earth you stand stand on is groaning in pains of frustration because of the fallen and broken nature of this world. Have you ever been in a forest with creaking trees in the wind? Have you ever heard a tree get snapped off in a strong wind? It's something to witness. When I was just back at my mom's house, a few years ago, a tornado came through and just missed her house. And you used to be able to look out the back windows of the home and see this beautiful woods. All you saw was perfect trees and you could look into this beautiful woods. Now, after this tornado, it came through and devastated the woods, knocked down just about every tree. There's trees split in two, 20 feet off the ground, and it looks like a bomb went off in the backyard. And as I look out there, I can see that the planet always isn't real friendly. And the planet is even groaning and looking for a day where destruction And pain will come to an end. And these groans in creation mimic the groans that we have. As Paul says in verse 23. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope. For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised to us. If you are a follower of Jesus, it tells us here that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a foretaste of what is to come. It's like a down payment on the hope that we have. That word foretaste can also be translated first fruits. And what are first fruits? It is the first berry on the bush that's finally ripe that you pick and it's not sour. It's the first apple or pear or orange on a tree that has finally become ripe, but the rest of the tree isn't quite there. It is when you look out at a grain field and you see that some of it has ripened and is ready, but it's not quite ready to harvest because others are still still to come. And those first fruits point towards what? That a harvest is coming. That something more is coming. That this is not the end. There's something more. And the Holy Spirit is that down payment, that first fruit, that foretaste of the glory that is yet to come. And what is this glory that yet to come? What is it that is now but it's still not yet. What what is that that we're waiting in confident expectation for? Well, first Paul tells us that we are going to get new bodies. That this hope we have is not a generic hope. It's not a general hope that we kind of got to figure out what it is. No, it is a specific hope in Jesus. And first we have the hope of the new bodies. When you woke up today, did you feel any groans or aches in your body? I know that for some of you, you look at me as young, and others of you look at me as old, but I, in my 40s, am starting to groan and creak a little bit more. And I'm reminded that this body is not getting any better, it's beginning to decay and fall apart in different ways. But the hope in Jesus is that we will have resurrected eternal bodies. And that's a great hope to hold on to. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts it like this. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The hope of an eternal body... That is never subjected to sickness and decay is a hope that we all hold on to. Are you in the middle of a diagnosis? Is there things in your body that don't work the way they used to work? We have hope that this isn't the eternal body that's promised to us. But there's more. Hope isn't just about cashing in this body and getting an extreme body makeover. No, there is more to the hope of Jesus. The inheritance that God promises us that we're waiting in hope for, which is now but not yet, which we are waiting in anticipation for, is a new heaven, a new earth, a perfect place. Listen to these words in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven. well... We might see one. Then I, there we go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, look, God's home is now among his people, he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain, and all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write these down, for that for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I'll give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. All my people will inherit these things. The hope of an eternal inheritance is a specific hope that we're waiting in confident expectation for a new heaven, a new earth. A new city, a new paradigm of life with no more sickness, no more tears, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. There's an eternal quenching of even our physical thirst. And at the end we read that we get to be called the children of God forever. That is the eternal hope we hold on to. As I go through life and experience more loss, there's many kinds of loss we experience. The loss of youth. I'm still in denial about that. The loss of friends. Loss of loved ones. The loss of time. Maybe you're in that space where you're like, you know, I just don't know where time went. And as I go through life and experience loss, it makes me long more for a hope that transcends this world. That all my wildest hopes and dreams will not be fulfilled here, but there is a hope that goes beyond this world. A hope that is now, but not yet. A hope that is waiting in anticipation for what is to come. As we read earlier in Romans 8 about the groaning and the waiting of creation and us, we wait in anticipation for new bodies. We wait in hope in anticipation of a new heaven, a new earth, in a day that there'll be no sorrow, no crying, no tears, no pain. And Paul writes in verses 24 to 25, and he says, We were given this hope when we were saved. The moment you said yes to Jesus, we were given this hope. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Hope is now but not yet. Hope is waiting patiently and confidently, expecting what God has promised he will fulfill. So I ask you today, where is your hope? Is your hope only in this life? It states in Scripture, if you're a believer in Christ, if you only have hope for this life, you should be pitied more than anybody. Because we have a hope that transcends this life and this existence. And we can look forward to the hope of an eternity with Christ. And we can look back and see the down payment in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And that he has deposited the Spirit of God within us. So I ask you today, where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is your hope in everything turning out good here and now? Or do you hold on to that cosmic eternal hope only found in Jesus? My prayer is that you hold on to his hope. Let's pray. God, you are my hope. That transcends this world and anything that comes. And God, I'm reminded today, even going through the holidays, of the hope that my Father had, but now has realized fully. That he no longer has hope, he has reality, a realized hope. And Lord, I grieve his loss, but I'm also reminded that that is the steadfast hope that is beyond this life. And God, may we hold on to a hope that transcends the here and now and reaches out to your plan and purposes that far surpass the present. I pray for those who are in the midst of physical suffering, God, may they find hope in the promise of new bodies. I pray for those who are experiencing loss of hope in different areas, be it relationally, be it with a loss of a loved one, be it with other dynamics. And I ask God that you'd breathe new hope into whatever is being faced. And Lord, may we live in that tension of the now but not yet. But may we live in it with hope. Waiting in expectation that you're going to do what you have said you are going to do. In Jesus' name.